Hello, hello. Oh, there I am. Hi. My name is Jen Mangloss. I'm the associate pastor here for Bethany Ballard. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Um, And I have to make a little confession to you all. Um, So the last time I preached, it was my first time preaching here, and I was a little nervous, but I was really nervous, not just because it's the first time preaching, but uh, here, but because I made the big mistake. Some of you women might know this, this cardinal rule that you should never break uh, before any sort of big event, a wedding, you know, an interview, your first time preaching, don't go to a new hairstylist. And so I ended up with two big black streaks in with the front of my hair. And I was like, but that's not what I wanted. And I got home and it was like, oh no, this looks awful. And I'm trying to wash it out and it's not coming out. And, um, and even though now I can look back and go, it wasn't that big a deal, but then it felt like the end of the world. And so the morning of, I'm like, okay, is my headband big enough to cover so no one can see that I look like an idiot? And oh my gosh, I was so anxious over that. And it was fine. My hair got fixed and everything was good. And so today I come here not as nervous, but a little nervous because my parents are here, right here. So here's the deal though. So yeah, we can clap for that. Kurt and Lorraine, they're pretty awesome. So here's the deal. If I really mess it up today, I'm just going to do what every good kid does and blame their parents. So, you're welcome. (laughs) So, anyways, we're on our final week of Gather, Grow, and Go. And in the first week, uh, I was about to say Paul. Paul does not work here. Brad talked about us giving off the aroma of God, that actually when we gather, we we send back this aroma, this sweet-smelling aroma of Christ into our communities. Um, or as Brad so eloquently put it, whoever smelt it, dealt it. <laughs> and last week, uh, Brad also t- took us through time exploring how growth in Christ results in freedom, transformation, and the courage to be weak. <gasps> um, today, we're going to be talking about going, our final week. Uh, so we're once more in 2 Corinthians. Uh, you may have picked up this passage we read that uh, reconciliation is Paul's word of choice in this, in this section. Um, but the whole book of Second Corinthians has this story of reconciliation because some of the backstory is Paul had ministered to uh, the church in Corinth and then they'd got a little frustrated with him. He wasn't as brand, brand new and shiny and flashy as some other teachers. So they were kind of blowing him off. So Paul's actually reaching out to them as an act of reconciliation. So even though this passage we're on today is about reconciliation between us and God, the larger story of this book is reconciliation. So, let's jump into verse 16. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up. And if not, we'll have it on the screen. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So, Paul starts by talking about our worldly worldly view of Christ. And I want to invite you to think back to Paul's history. Because this statement is actually autobiographical for him. In Acts 9-5, Jesus appeared to Paul saying, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And before his conversion, Paul would have viewed Jesus as an enemy of the faith, even an imposter, because this man is claiming he's the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel. Like, and I don't believe he is, so he must be an imposter. Uh, But now something's changed for Paul, because he sees Jesus for who he truly is, as friend rather than enemy. And so his view of Christ has changed. And I think that's a good question for all of us. How did you view Christ before you came to him? How has your vision of Jesus changed? 
for some of you, like me, I was too young. I was really, I was like one of those like toddler converts. But for some of you, you were old enough and you knew like what life was before Christ. And so I want to invite you to think back, what was that like? How did I see him and how is that different today? And you may notice that this vision before and after is really different. And it's not just of how you see Christ, it's how you see the world. Early in chapter 5, Paul talks about the new body we receive in heaven. And kind of the book of uh, 2 Corinthians is spread with this idea of newness. So we see this in uh, chapters 2 to 3, where Paul is talking about our new covenant with Christ. And then in chapter 4, he's talking about new life in general. And this isn't a new idea, though, for the church of Corinth. This is actually a reminder to them. Paul is correcting them. He's reminding them that their sight has been renewed. So he's saying, don't fall back into this old vision. Don't view the church through worldly eyes. The church there had rejected Paul. You know, like I'd mentioned, he wasn't, maybe he wasn't the best speaker. He, uh, he didn't have a lot of money. He was kind of blunt. And the church in Corinth was liking these preachers who maybe had a nicer thing to say to them, wasn't as offensive, um, maybe had a little more money, were a little shinier on the outside. Um, but Paul's reminding them that that's a worldly view, to praise someone like that. And he's like, no, what we need to have is these, this new vision and not view everything, view people of God like the world does and values them the way the world does. And our vision can trick us because we're not always aware of what's missing until, uh, or what's even being distorted in our vision until it's corrected. So I have a video here that I think show, gives us an interesting picture of that. So if we'll roll the clip right now. Man, I love how this video shows how someone's vision being corrected or filled in um, and that they had no idea that something was amiss. That one guy's like, oh, that's pink? That's purple? And we don't notice what's missing until our vision's righted. But with Christ, our vision has been righted. And for so many of us, when we did come to Jesus, it was moments like that where it's like, wow, that's green? That's your hair? Um, but before then, we didn't notice it. We thought that everything was supposed to be muted. We thought the world was you know, supposed to be like how a colorblind person experiences the world. And so for us to forget our new vision is to take off those glasses, 
that these people had that corrects their vision. But why would you choose to do that? Because getting to see the true colors is so much better. Um, and because of Christ's love for us, we do have new eyes. We have new eyes for people around the world, for people around us, and we're invited to see others as Christ sees them. But it isn't just new vision. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. And this is such a great summation of Christianity. Like, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And in the original Greek, how Paul wrote it was really blunt, because this is Paul. He just says it as it is. It literally says, uh, if anyone in Messiah, new creation. And something about that reminds me a little bit of Oprah. If you remember when Oprah had her show and she had the Christmas episodes, and those are the episodes where she'd give away really good gifts, not like, here's a pair of tickets to the movie theater, but like, a new car. And she'd stand out there, and she'd go like, you're getting a car, and you're getting a car, and everyone would lose their mind. I kind of imagine Paul like this, like, new creation, new creation, new creation. And I don't know if the church in Corinth was doing that as well, but it is worth kind of throwing our hands up and going, ah! Because <laughs> that is good news, right? And what I love is that by call, Paul calling them a new creation, instead of criticizing them for losing their vision, he's actually reminding them of their identity. Because we're no longer identified by the labels that the world gives us. But we are brand new. We're not old. We're not thrown out. We're not garbage. And since I've moved to Seattle, I've discovered this amazing thing called buy nothing. Do you guys, are you you familiar with buy nothing? So if not, here's the 411 on buy nothing. Because this doesn't exist in LA. I don't know why. Um, But basically, you go onto Facebook and you sign up for this group, and it's based on where you live, and then you can offer up things you're getting rid of, like a coffee carafe or measuring spoons, and then someone can say, hey, I'm searching for a new hat, a rug for my house, and the best part is it's all free. You can't exchange money. And it's just like a lovely way to get to know the people in your community, and also having just moved here, half of my apartment is filled with um, buy-nothing items. Like, I got a, um, what's the coffee carafe? Uh, those, the, the, the Chemex. I got a free Chemex, you guys, and that was so exciting. But sometimes, every now and then, not everything on buy-nothing is as good as a free Chemex. Sometimes I'll see things posted and go, dude, like, that's just garbage. You just need to throw that away. No one wants this. Like, I like that you're trying to reuse things, but no one wants this. And sometimes that's how we feel about ourselves. Like, we feel like the junk on buy nothing that should just be put out by the garbage bin. But to converse that, I want you to think back to the last thing you bought brand new. Whether that was a new piece of technology, new pair of shoes, whatever it was, and that joy you felt when you first opened it. So for me, it was a brand new couch. And I've always had hand-me-down couches that are gross and uncomfortable, and I bought my first new couch, and you guys... Like, I came into my house, and I like, carefully you know, undid the tape because I didn't want to puncture the couch and pulled it out, and it had to be assembled. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care that it needed to be assembled because it was new, and it kind of had that new smell, and everything was so pristine, and like, I didn't even want to sit on it because I was like, I don't want to ruin this. But it somehow made me feel like everything was possible, right? New. And so, this is our identity, this brand new item, fresh out of the box, not the garbage left on the side of the road. 
And this is right now. This isn't like a, when we get to heaven, God's going to see us this way. But he actually sees us this way right now, in this moment. And he calls, not just me, but every single person here, he calls you new. And if I were to ask each person here and say, do you feel new? Do you believe that we're a new creation and God sees us that way? That's your identity. I think most of us would probably nod our heads and go, sure. But the deeper question is here, because sometimes there's a big disconnect between our head and our heart. Do we actually feel new? Sometimes, if we're honest, we don't really identify that way. Sometimes that's hard for us to really hold on to. And once again, I love that we can remember who's writing 2 Corinthians. Paul. We used to know him as Saul, and he was this really brilliant man. He was an observant Jew. He was a teacher. He was a man. And those are all things that were really praised in his culture. He had everything going for him. And he was also one of the early church's biggest persecutors. We're introduced to Saul in Acts 7, verse 58. And there's a group of men who are about to stone this man, Stephen, who'd been preaching the gospel. And all these guys go and leave their coats at the feet of a young guy named Saul. So we don't know if Saul participated in the stoning or if he just watched. But either way, if that were to happen today, you would be in trouble either way. Like, if you killed someone, you'd be in trouble. If you watched someone being killed and didn't do anything, you'd be in trouble. So this is Saul. He's, uh, he's kind of this violent man who has like a very hard line of what's right, what's wrong, and he'll go to great lengths to make sure right or wrong is, right is happening. But that wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough to watch this man die violently. He then goes to the high priest, who's the head of the Jewish faith at the time, and he asks for permission to seek out Christians and bring them back as prisoners. So it's, while he's en route, he's about to like wrangle up some Christians and take them back to be imprisoned, maybe killed. Um, Jesus intervenes. And let's read this together in chapter 9 of Acts. Let me grab my Bible. And we're going to start Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 3. This is the worst thing. This is when you know you're getting old, when your little tiny print Bible, which you loved in your 20s, is now like, where's my magnifying glass? Okay. <laughs> so as, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I like that he throws that in one more time. Like, you're persecuting me, come on. Um, but he replied, he replied. Uh, so verse 6, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So, spoiler alert, Saul begins to follow Christ. He's made new. He's no longer Saul, the persecutor of the early church. He's Paul who goes on to write a significant portion of the New Testament he encourages and helps spread the church throughout the world. Paul, like one of the most talked about guys in the Bible, that's him. And talk about being made new, a new identity in Christ. And so if that newness is available to a vigilante like Paul, a mess up like that, then it's available to us. And the Corinthian church knew the right answers, but they'd forgotten their identity. And Paul needed to remind them of that. And maybe you need that reminder today. You are new. And I want that to sink in for a moment. You're new. What does that feel like? 
Does that feel true? And that's a good question for us to keep asking, but I want to take us onto this next step of how have we been made new? Why is it that we're new? So if we look to verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. So the Greek word used here for reconciliation is katalaj. Kata is an intensifier, so just kind of more of, and alaso means change. So literally, this is meaning an exchange between two people and then a profit from the exchange. And in the New Testament, it's used figuratively to describe the change from people being enemies to being friends. So basically, it's picturing the reestablishment of uh, a relationship that's been broken or interrupted. And this isn't about sin management, and Paul even says this, it's not about counting sins, but it's relational. Because reconciliation at its core is about relationships. And sometimes we lose the meaning of words like this that we hear all the time in church, like atonement, sanctification, reconciliation, and they can become churchy terms that we zone out when we hear. Or they're words where, yeah, 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 I know what that means, and I know the deep theology behind it, and how different people interpreted that, but we can forget what reconciliation means in our real lives, in our daily, every morning, waking up, living life. We forget what reconciliation means. And I'm forgetting where I was in my script. (laughs) Give me one second. (laughs) Reconciliation, though, it's all about relationship. And Paul has a very specific view of reconciliation as well. And you see this throughout the different letters he's written. It's God pursuing us. Despite the many ways we have cut off and broken the relationship. Starting all the way from almost day one in the Garden of Eden up till today. And Paul talks about this in Romans 5 verses 6 to 8. But I really love how the message phrases it. So I'm going to read from the message. This is Romans 5 verses 6 to 8. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we are of no use whatsoever to him. Friends, we should be the ones seeking God. We're the ones who broke relationship. But in this topsy-turvy kind of way, because of his great love for us, God pursues us. And he initiates reconciliation. He initiates repair. And we didn't just observe this happening down the street to someone else. It's actually happened to us. So we are the reconciled. This is our identity. Because of his great love for us, we are new and we've been reconciled. You know, when Paul first started following Christ, the other Christians, understandably, were terrified. Like, if you think of someone like, who's been persecuting you, persecuting your people, and they show up saying, I've changed, most of us might go, Really? I don't know if I can trust that. And the church, you know, the early church saw Paul with these kind of like these worldly eyes of, hey, we know his former identity. We know he's a, 
He's a vigilante. He's out to get people like us. And in Acts 9.26 we read, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And yet, despite his reputation, Jesus called him. Yeah, him. He called him new. And Jesus gave him a new identity. And it makes me wonder, what does that experience do for a person? Like, how does that shape you? For Paul, this reconciliation completely changed his life. It wasn't just a nice idea. He was no longer this brutal vigilante. He was no longer this young guy who was on his way up in the Jewish faith, full of pride and potential. But he's Paul, apostle extraordinaire who traveled the world, lived simply, and came, uh, he was humbled so many times. It's painful to read that, like how many times he was just put through the ringer. And he came to boast only, as Galatians 6 says, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. His experience of reconciliation changed him. And because of that, he became a reconciler. And many were brought into relationship with God. The church exploded with growth. Millions learned from his writing. And we're still learning from his words today. And remembering that we have, because we have new eyes, because we are a new creation, because we have been reconciled, we're called into a new business. We hear about this in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though, uh, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because we have been reconciled, we're now in the reconciliation business. We've just joined the family business. And when I hear the family business, I can't help but think of the Godfather, right? Uh, because God made us an offer we couldn't refuse. Sorry, that was such a bad joke. I, uh, I classify jokes two ways. It's like a knee slapper where it's actually funny and an elbow slapper where it's like, ooh, you tried. So that's my, that's my elbow slapper joke for you. Um, I blame my parents. <laughs> Just kidding, you guys. You're great. Um, but because, because we're now part of this new family, we're now reconcilers. So what does it mean to be a reconciler? It means that we're a reconciling presence in our families, in our church, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our city, in our state, in our country, in the world. In Colossians 1.20, Paul explains that Christ came to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And there's this great meme of uh, this woman who's been like drawn on paint on Microsoft. It's like this crudely drawn like little girl, and she's got her hand in the air. Sometimes she's got a broom, and it says all the things. And that's kind of what's going on here. All the things. That's what Christ is reconciling. All the things. Um, Think of what around you feels broken or out of order. Yes, Christ's reconciliation there. Wherever we see brokenness, wherever we see things that are wrong, that are not the way they should be. Now here's some good news, because maybe this level of reconciliation, all the things, seems a little overwhelming. Like, okay, so I've got to be an ambassador, and I've got to be a reconciler, and how do I do that? And I've got to also like make myself dinner and go to work. And like, how does all that happen? So if you're feeling overwhelmed, 
Take a moment, slow your roll, take a deep breath, and be reminded of this good news. Jesus promised help. And turn with me to Acts 1, verse 8. Good news is coming. And we're going to jump in here on this moment when Jesus is giving his final words to his followers. And he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So notice the order here. It's not, go be my witnesses and then the Spirit will come. It's, no, the Spirit will come and empower you so that you can be my witness, so that you can be a reconciler. Bless you. (laughs) Um, That those things are possible because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So you, yes, you have been empowered to be a reconciler. That's good news. You don't have to figure it out on your own. Um, You're in the family business and you are empowered to see the world through new eyes and reconcile all of the things. So what does that look like? And it can look a million and one different ways, and some of that's specific to how God has created you. He might have given you certain gifts and abilities to be able to speak into certain areas of reconciliation, certain broken areas in the world. But it also might just be, he might put opportunities in front of you in your daily life. So maybe it's taking a moment to listen to your coworker who's going through a divorce or repairing a broken relationship with a family member or a friend. Maybe it's offering to pray for someone who's in pain or who needs healing, or being mindful of how you're using God's natural resources, or sharing food with someone in need, or examining how your lifestyle might take advantage of someone with less resources and making shifts to right the wrongs. Maybe it's offering a kind word when someone yells at you in the car. I need to learn that one, guys. Uh, or intervening, uh, intervening in a situation where someone's being wronged. If you see someone being robbed or stoned in the street, stepping in. Or loving someone who feels unlovable. Basically, it's bringing the love of Jesus to all that's broken. And I know that today's sermon is about going, but we can't go until we know who we are. And if you're like me, you're really forgetful. Because I constantly need to be reminded about my identity in Christ. And this is because we live in this world that's always trying to speak different identities over to us. Like, you're too young, you're too old, you're working too much, you're working not enough, you're the wrong shape, you're the wrong size, you're the wrong ethnicity. Who you are isn't enough. And this is constant, and I think we have it probably worse than any other generation has had it because of, and this isn't just to throw some uh, arbitrary smackdown on technology because there's really good things about technology. But with the way technology and social media works today, we're bombarded with these messages that want to speak a different identity over us. And that's not what Jesus calls us. That's not what Jesus says. And so we have to be really vigilant about returning to our true identity. So I actually entitled this sermon, Remember Who You Are. And this was a little throwback to Lion King because I love the Lion King. Anyone with me? Any Lion King fans out there? Yeah! So I haven't seen the new one, guys, because I love the first one so much. I was like, I just, I don't want it to be ruined. Um, but there's this scene towards the end of the movie where Simba's grown up, and he's kind of running away from his past, which is very much coming into his present. And all of a sudden, his dad comes in a cloud, like his ghost dad, shows up, Mufasa, and he speaks to him. And do you, does anyone remember what he says to him? 
Simba, remember who you are. Now, I don't do a very good James, James Earl Jones impersonation, but I think maybe we can do it collectively. So will you join me? On the count of three, we're going to say, Simba, remember who you are, but in your best James Earl Jones voice. So, and I really need the men kind of getting those deep tones in there. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Simba, remember who you are. Whew. I just got chills, guys. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to go that well. That was, man, um, well done, well done. I think we all deserve a round of applause for that, yeah. So, <laughs> joking aside, though, remember who you are. This is Paul's words to the church in Corinth and his words to us. Remember who you are. You are a new creation. You have been reconciled, and you are now a reconciler. So how do we remember this? How do we hold on to this? And the best, simplest, easy way is to spend time with God, spending time in his presence, spending time in his word, praying. A friend in my 20s used to say, our doing, our ability to go, it comes from our being in God. Like, we can't go and do all the things until we spend time with Jesus, until we remember who we are. And it's when we sit with God in his presence that we come to learn how loved we really are. And it's from that bed, that starting place of love, that's where we're sent. So today to close, I want to leave you with a couple of questions and give you a moment to sit with God, to recall your true identity, and that's one of the gifts, actually, of church is that we come to church to remember who we are. So let's set, settle into that for a minute. So these questions are going to pop up. And I want you to just kind of sit and consider, how has your reconciliation with Christ changed or shaped you? And the second question is, how is God inviting you to go and be a reconciler to all the things? So I'm going to give us a couple minutes to sit kind of consider those questions for ourselves. And then in a couple minutes, Dylan and Olivia are going to lead us in a song.